0: First and Pod, hosted by Danny Parkins and Andrew Filippone. And welcome into First and in Pod. I'm Andrew Filippone. Danny Parkins has the evening off, and we've got a huge NFL Sunday to react to, starting with what happened in Santa Clara tonight between the 49ers and Chargers. Uh, the 49ers did it in a w- ugly way. You know, I thought the mismatch with all the players coming back on the offensive side of the ball, like Debo Samuel for the Niners and the Chargers dealing with their injuries, no Mike Williams, no Keenan Allen, that this game was a recipe for a blowout. The San Francisco on a national stage now with a lot of eyes on them Sunday night that they were going to show people that they're a contender with Philadelphia, Minnesota, um, Kansas city in the AFC, Buffalo, Miami, I didn't really think they did that. Their defense limited the Chargers, stymied them totally. But the Chargers were not dealing with their full arsenal of weapons offensively. Garoppolo didn't throw a touchdown pass. McCaffrey didn't he didn't uh, have a huge game. So really, San Francisco won, but there were no style points. They could have easily lost the game. Uh, they couldn't punch it in at times. They kicked the field goal late to go up six. So the Kyle Shanahan, the field goal decision was not really a good one late in the game. So kind of an unconvincing win for me with the 49ers. They got the job done, but I don't feel like I'm in the mood to celebrate or really gush about the way they played. And then conversely on the Charger side, the, the hit on Herbert could have turned into a gigantic story Monday where every podcast in America, every NFL podcast like us, every sports TV show was talking about how that play, that Greenlaw hit that he got ejected for, uh, you know, if if it knocks Herbert out, it would have been a big story. He comes back in the game. Uh, if the Chargers go on to win the game because of that ejection, well, then that would have been a gigantic thing. So, kind of crisis averted for the NFL. They got to figure that out, protect quarterbacks, but at the same time, let's not forget that it is football and let's not overemphasize the protection of quarterbacks to the point where guys are getting thrown out of games for borderline plays. All right, so that's Sunday night football. The real conversation that is going to be water cooler talk all over America and already has been on social media, is that Vikings-Bills game. And let me start with this on that game. I got robbed and I got ripped off today as an NFL fan because of where that game was slotted in. The NFL needs to take a page out of the college football playbook. You know, college football, they quote-unquote flex games every week where six days before the next game, we don't know the times of the game so sometimes. So what I'm saying is today, instead of Fox giving everybody the Packers and Cowboys at 425, they should have given us Bills and Vikings. I live in Pittsburgh. So I got coverage, I got the Saints and Steelers game today for three hours. Okay. Most of America should have gotten the Vikings-Bills game. It was the the, the class of the AFC against a 7-1 team, that should have been the 4:30 game, and the Cowboys and Packers should have been at 1 o'clock, even with Aaron Rodgers and two big brands. Give us the better game. So I only got, really, the last five minutes of regulation and then overtime of that game. And that part of it was a classic. I mean, there were as many twists and turns there as there were in that playoff game last year between the Bills and the Chiefs. And I think that's one of the top things I I come away from this game with. The Bills are losing a lot of these types of games. The Bills lost a game to the Dolphins earlier this year where they had the huge, huge yardage advantage. When Tua first had the concussion scare where he went down and then he came back in. The Bills blew that game. Josh Allen's turnovers, he's gone from MVP to, is there something wrong with Josh Allen? in a very short amount of time, not just the physical with the UCL, the elbow that, I mean, is it a Tommy John situation? Is it just going to get better? Is it not going to get worse? But the psychological uh, component of things, you know, the Bills, that was the the question on the minds of many like myself before the year started. They lose in the playoffs in a heartbreaking fashion. How do they get over it? And they hit the ground running against the Rams. They blew them out. They blew out the Titans. They handled the Chiefs at Arrowhead. I mean, they've they've been the favorites all year. But this, to me, there seems to be for Josh Allen he um a knowledge or a knowingness that he has to do way too much in order for the Bills to win. On paper, they're supposed to be the most complete team. They can't run the ball unless he's doing it. Uh after stuff after Diggs. Davis is up and down, not always reliable. Tight end play inconsistent. They've got a million running backs. They can't pick one that they really want to go with. I don't think McDermott has come through in in all the game management uh, situations. And the defense, uh, the 96-yard drive by the Jets at the end of the game that ends in a field goal to win it. Um, So, But the number one thing is Josh Allen from their perspective. What's going on with the guy? To fumble the ball, the muffed snap like that was just insane. You know, that's a game you got to win 99% of the time. I don't want to hear about take a safety. You're not going to pump the ball back to the Vikings and give them a chance with a couple of plays to win it on a field goal. So, you know, get out of here with the safety talk. And for the Vikings, you know, I think the shame of it for them is a lot of the conversation is going to be about what the Bills didn't do to win the game. And the only thing from the Vikings, perspective that is going to get talked about is the incredible catch for, by Jefferson, which you know, I know it's glove technology and all that. And guys like Fred Bolitnikoff put stick em on their hands and the NFL was different 50 years ago. And every advantage is there for skill position players now like wide receivers. But you're, you're telling me fourth and 18, he goes up with one hand and makes that catch in, in traffic. Phenomenal. Justin Jefferson started the season against the Packers and looked like Offensive Player of the Year. He got himself back into that conversation with the way he played today. It's a signature win for the Vikings, no doubt, because a lot of people looked at them as a paper tiger. They had just taken advantage of a weak NFC North going into this game. But it's not like Kirk Cousins blew anyone away. His stat line is not going to be eye-popping he didn't really do enough that i think you know his uh the, the story on him or the book on him changes off of this game so hopefully i'm doing it justice the last 20 minutes of the game in real time was completely surreal and it is a game that is for the you know history books but it's was not a playoff game that everyone got and it wasn't a primetime game or in a time slot where most of America got the game. So I, like many, jumped into it late and had to go from there. Uh, let's turn next to the game in Munich today in Germany where the Bucs, the oddsmakers got this right. The oddsmakers favored the Bucs today over the Hollywood story of the Seahawks and what they've been able to do winning four in a row. And the Bucs led really from start to finish to knock off Seattle 21-16. to 16. Tom Brady, after the game, was acting like this was some triumphant moment in NFL history to go there. There was huge ticket demand. There were literally millions of ticket requests from what I heard for this game, which is crazy to think about. That so many people wanted to see a real live NFL game that wasn't NFL Europe or a preseason game. Three million. Thank you, Spencer. Three million. I, I You know, I thought that was the number, but I didn't say it out loud because it just seems... Like, it's impossible to be true, but it is. Three million ticket requests. uh, and, And Brady was acting like they spread the gospel of football with this game, that they made fans in Germany. But I wonder in today's day and age where everything is so accessible. I mean, if you live in Germany, you can stream games. You can watch games on satellite. You can probably pirate them illegally. It's a lot easier to access these things. But I guess it still is a little bit different when the game actually gets played where you live and in your backyard. So I'm sure the NFL made fans there. And it really, when Brady comes out and speaks to the enormity of the whole thing and how it felt like a first-class event, like a Super Bowl, what that does for me is it only accelerates the NFL going full-time into Europe. And, you know, I think that the first thing will be will be games there almost every week that every single week will have an early game that takes place somewhere in Europe where and it becomes like a Thursday night thing that demands on teams they get asked to do two things they get asked to play one Thursday night game a year and everybody goes to Europe once i think that i think we're really closing in on that um and I think that would be the NFL would like that because now you've got four, you've got an extra television window to sell. Right now, those games are on NFL Network. You know, you can next TV, next, the next time the TV package is up, you can sell that separately, either to, you know, maybe Hulu gets in or maybe Netflix. I don't know. But it creates a new inventory spot. I'd love to see the ratings. You know, it's on NFL networks on cable. It's not local in a lot of these places. You know, the one game was on ESPN plus between the Broncos and Jaguars. But I do think that is where the NFL, they've talked about how to grow the game in Europe. Do you put teams over there? Do you have, the, It's you know, a, a European division? The players association would like that because it's more jobs, but then you got to talk about players living over there full-time too in the travel demands. That come with that, like once the playoffs and stuff start. So this Germany thing was absolutely huge, and I don't think Brady was paying it lip service. And plus, he was in the mood to talk glowingly about it because the Bucks won the game, and now they're back in the driver's seat when it comes to uh, the NFC, the NFC South, Colts and Raiders. We're moving this game up the the rundown because of everything that went on with the Colts and Raiders today in Vegas. From the decision earlier in the week by the Colts to fire Frank Reich, Danny and I talked about it on the podcast. We gave our thoughts on the Jeff Saturday hire. And I'm in Pittsburgh. Bill Cowher eviscerated it today on the NFL on CBS. And I took exception with Cowher's comments because he described the coaching fraternity as if it were an exclusive VIP club where you almost like a union too, where you had to like someone had to recommend you, then you'd go in and start at the bottom and you'd have to pay your dues to wake, to work your way up to the top. And look, you know, that story, that road to success, a lot of people do have to gradually incrementally work their way up from the bottom of the totem pole do the grinded out jobs uh, and succeed at those before they get their big break and their big opportunity. And some people never get it because frankly, some people aren't talented enough to be a head coach. There's a reason why you've lifers as assistant coaches. Some people are meant to lead and others are better off as uh, lieutenants who aid leaders. And there's nothing wrong with that. I'm Like I said, I, I'm in Pittsburgh. The Steelers had Dick LeBeau who's considered one of the great coordinators in NFL history, was a head coach with the Bengals and was not very good at all. It was frankly atrocious at it. Um, so Cowher's going on and on about how what's happening with Jeff Saturday is a disgrace to the NFL. It's a joke to the coaching profession. Even though this goes on in other coaching ranks all the time, NHL, NBA, Major League Baseball, managers and coaches, for head positions get hired without having to toil in the minor leagues of baseball, ex-players become head coaches in the NBA all the time, whether they go from the broadcast booth or they're just retired. I thought the Saturday thing we've learned in the last few days that Jeff Saturday was actually more involved with the Colts than the media initially let on. The consultant role not only meant that he was talking to Jim Ursay every day, but he was also in constant contact with their coaches, so he knew what their coaches were doing and what they weren't doing. And he also had, other than just film, he had proprietary information, inside information on all their players too. Now I had been tipped off earlier in the day that they were that he that Saturday was not an Ellinger guy. And you know, I, look, the guy's been on TV a lot. He probably said as much on TV. They went to Matt Ryan. That was a stabilizing force. I had a feeling that Saturday's identity was going to be get back to the run game, get back to the offensive line. And they were able to do that against a Raiders team that honestly, at the beginning of the year, we didn't think very highly of them as a defense. I mean, they're cutting first round picks earlier in the week, like Jonathan Abram. So it was the perfect opponent, the perfect team to play. Spirits in Vegas are super low. Their morale is shot. Waller and... Uh, Renfro got placed on IR before this game. They've got no uh, belief in McDaniel's. McDaniel's is a is a cerebral coach. He's not a rah rah coach. And so when his teams, when when they're losing, you know, he does not strike me as a guy that's going to inspire them. Other than what they see on an X's and O's grease board or dry erase board, and what they see in a playbook or a game plan for a given week. Yeah, they, they're not going to run through a wall for Josh McDaniels. Jonathan Taylor literally did that today. The Colts' offensive line put forth its best blocking game of the year, and I don't think it's out of the question for the Colts to rally here and make the playoffs. They're four, five, and one. It's still going to take it's going to take the Titans collapsing, but I'm not going to. That team has exceeded my expectations all year. Tennessee, we still got a lot of football left. And with Matt Ryan this year, the Colts are actually a 500 team. McDaniels, by the way, you know, what's going to be the level of patience there with Mark Davis? I just said, some guys are meant to be head coaches and others assistants. Josh McDaniels might be the most recent example of that. The great work he's able to do when he's working next to Bill Belichick compared to what he's done as a head coach in his career. And this is now a second opportunity.